It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh This is the film editor of thepopbreak.com, Marissa Carpico. I'm here with our TV editor, as always. Matt, you want to say hello? Hey, guys. Um, we are going to talk about uh, Oscars for the last time in 2018. Um, as long as this posts before the new year, which is debatable. Um, there's been a lot of things that have come out in the last couple weeks since we talked. Um, more stuff than I realized, honestly. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, sort of a top ten of, a, of the year for us. We have a an article up online um, for the site-wide top ten, and I will be surprised if uh, more than, like, two of those match our lists, honestly. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Uh, so we're going to start with the new releases. Um First one we sort of talked about a little bit. Well, Matt talked about it, and I finally saw it right at, like, basically the day after we recorded last time, and that is Vox Lux, the Natalie Portman um, pop star vehicle. Um, we, you know, Matt didn't get to dig in, into it because I hadn't seen it, but my brief sort of thing about it is that it might not understand pop music very well, but it's not trying to because it is an indictment of, an allegorical indictment of, uh, but post 9-11 America. Uh, thoughts, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. It's like, I actually saw it a second time, um, like, two weeks ago. Oh. And it definitely played better on a repeat when I kind of knew what to expect. Okay. And, um, yeah, it, it totally doesn't understand pop music. And, no. it, like, it's, it's funny the way her sound is the exact same, like, through a full decade. Because, like, pop music doesn't sound... Or it didn't sound like it did in 2000 when the film starts. No. In but, 2000, it sounded like, oops, I did it again. Yeah. And, I mean, it was we were all better off, one would argue. <laughs> one being me. I can't, but, I can't and, disagree. Um, I can't disagree. But, um, no, it's a really good movie. Natalie Portman's amazing. And I think it has a lot of interesting things to say about just, like, what it's like to exist in this country today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really clever and and very sort of shocking in what it's... Like, I, I really didn't expect that, like... I mean, I knew about the um, the opening scene is basically a, a school shooting, which is, you know, pretty upsetting to see on screen. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and, very, very detailed. Right, and he takes a lot of... Um, a lot of cues from Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Have you ever seen that? No, because I've heard it's very troubling. It is troubling. It, it's honestly, like, it's a little less troubling than this because it, it builds up to all that. Like, so you have time to prepare emotionally or whatever, but you can tell he watched it because there's a lot of um, behind behind the person or behind one person sort of walking through hallway stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And he, there's a little of that here. And I don't know if that's intentional or it's just that's the only way to really film these kind of things. Um but yeah, it, it's very good. Um, but yeah, I knew about that. But I, what I didn't expect was all the like sort of like um, all the al- allegory of just like uh, the way trauma can be used to justify 
becoming monstrous, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's true on a personal... Like, you can you can make that connection personally, too. But the way... The reason that that, like, connection works at all is because of how fucking phenomenal um, Natalie Portman is playing, like, a complete sociopath. <laughs> yeah, she's really stunning, and it's, like... People- I've seen so many people saying how it's like a bad campy performance, and I'm like, no, it's a good campy performance. Yeah. Like, like, she knows exactly what she's doing, and it's really over the top and yeah. wild, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's she's playing it exactly right because she's not playing a human being; she's playing a country in decline. You know, <laughs> like she's playing, she's literally playing like Nero fiddling as the fucking world birds. So, so it's like you you almost can't be over the top in that. You you could be as crazy as you want um but yeah it's it's a perfect i think that performance is perfect and she is she was she's doing some of the best work of anyone's career at this point in her career and i it's weird to me that like like in 20 years if the earth still exists we're all going to be looking back at that this point in her career being like wow we really miss that like can you believe we gave a an Oscar to Emma Stone, <laughs> who I like, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I really respect the fact that it's like, she did the franchise work, and now she's just like, she doesn't seem to have any care about, like, doing studio work or, like, mainstream work to yeah. keep herself, like, on the A-list. It really seems like she's just like, yeah. I want to work with big directors with interesting ideas, and that's very exciting. Yeah, like, we're, we're definitely going to talk about her, uh, one of her, her other release this year at some point mm-hmm. in this, in this pod. Um, oh, we will. Oh, we will. Um, but yeah, like I, she just is really what a what a fucking legend. Like, you know her her the shit she pulled at was it the Oscars last year when she was like, and here are the all male nominees for best director. Like she does not give a shit anymore, and it's it's great. <laughs> I it's love amazing. it. That was the Golden Globes, and I had forgotten about that until this week when I saw someone tweet about it, oh. and I was like, God, she's so cool. That was a highlight of twenty eighteen to me. <laughs> I could just burned bridges and like the fucking cut to the audience to the nominees faces afterwards was like the most like the shadiest thing I've ever seen and I watched all of Drag Race this year I just it was it was brutal um but yeah Box Ox is great people uh it's challenging and but it is great it's I don't know I I think it's like it's something I want to watch over and over and over again for like decades you know and I, I can't say that about a lot of stuff um because I actually don't really like to rewatch stuff. Um, so the next release we have, I reviewed it for the site. I saw it a couple of months ago. You saw it even longer ago than I did. Um, is Cold War, the um, Polish submission for Best Foreign Film Oscar. Um, and I, I liked it a lot. Uh, but I, I, it's basically, just to give everybody a rundown about what it is, um, it's a, like, a decades-long love story between two people, a younger woman and an older man. They start in a sort of folk, uh, Polish folk musical group. He's the leader, and she's a just some girl who comes from the mountains. Um, and uh, it follows their sort of, like, bizarre love story over the decades of at post-World War II as... as and they're, they're... It parallels the... the like communist, what's it? Poland becoming part of the Eastern Bloc, basically, and sort of losing its its distinct identity from from Russia. Would you say that's that's basically it, right, Matt? 
Yeah, it's a very um, simple story, mm-hmm. but it just like you see the parallels of yeah. like history and their love yeah. story and everything. It's um, the way I described it is if Doctor Shivago were an hour and a half and in black and white, that's that's what you would get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like the, it's like it feels like you're almost like watching the Cliff Notes version of something, but that works in its favor. Like it, it yeah. You get exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the interesting thing to me, is that I, it's, it's like, very efficient storytelling, and usually I would love that, but I don't, I do wonder, like, for me, it was, like, the initial thought was, like, this was beautifully shot, and, like, the music is great, and this performance is, that, that girl in it is stunning. I mean, I've never seen her before, but she, she was stunning. Uh, like, uh, she blew me away, because she passed to play this, this, um, sort of, femme fatale but also like a real person and she's constantly so mercurial and and stands for like so much Uh, she's it's incredible it's a great performance but the point i'm trying to make here is that it's a little um i think the efficiency of the storytelling is the thing that makes the film itself like not stick to the bones in a way in that like because we're not spending so much time with these people even though it's covering so much time i don't know if like I'm going to think about it in a couple years. Like, an, a, an epic love story of that scale might need a film of that scale. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you mean. It's the sort of thing, like, I almost didn't get swept... I didn't really get swept up in the love story itself. Yeah. I really just found, like... I connected with it on, like, the craft level more yeah. than anything, and I didn't really care about their love story, for most of it, I was like, y'all shouldn't be together anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you're both messes. It's fully but, toxic. Like, it's fully toxic. Yeah, but I was like, you know, I was really more swept up in just how exciting um, that director just made their story. Like, it, it's a really uh, visually stunning technical experience more than an emotional one, I thought. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And, I, and, like, I cannot fault it in any way for any of the technical stuff. I mean, that black and white photography is, like, not to preview our, our talk about Roma in a minute, but, like, I, I, that it's it's so stunning. The contrast is incredible. And, like, I, it's of the black and white movies I saw this year, it's the one that blew me away the most because it's just the shadows and, and the lighting is so perfect. And all the camera placement is incredible. There's that great scene where he... The, the male lead in it is talking to um, the woman we sort of assume is his girlfriend, but who is also, like, running the um, the musical troupe with... with um, they're talking about, like, going home together after New Year... or after a big performance or something like that, or maybe it's New Year's Eve or something like that. They're, they're talking about going home, and, um, and there's, like, this giant mirror wall behind them, and then all of a sudden the camera focuses at the end of that thing, and you realize he's been staring at the, the young girl that whole time, and she's been staring at him. And it's, like, such It's a, amazing. Yeah, oh, boy, is it clever. And then there's that shot of them, like, five minutes later, where they're laying in a, a flowery field, and it's like, fucking, hey, this is beautiful. Like, I gasped in the theater. I was like, oh, what a beautiful shot. And It looks like modern art. It, it. Like, it, it's a gorgeous movie. Yeah, every shot is impeccable, impeccable and interesting and, and like, beautiful. Um, but, yeah, I, I, my my only sort of... I don't... I mean, it's not even a criticism, necessarily. Like, it's just that... I don't know. I think it would have had more staying power for me if, if it allowed us to emotionally invest in that relationship a little more, or... I don't know. I just don't... I feel like I'm not going to remember it in you know 10 years or whatever 
even though I'll probably watch it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that was. I feel like that way with a lot of like this. This year had a lot of good films, but a lot of them were ones where I was like in the moment, loved them, and I had felt no desire to go rewatch them. Yeah, like I forgot about it. Like I just fully forgot about it. You know what I mean? Um, which is the way I feel about like if Beale Street could talk, which again is like a beautifully made film that I should absolutely love, but which left me a little cold, and I, I I'm not sure why. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's maybe it's a me problem. I, maybe I should find a therapist and talk about it. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, next one I want to talk about is uh, Welcome to Marwin, which I saw and you didn't because you, you like yourself and I I clearly am self. That's true. That's true. Practicing self care. Yeah, I am clearly you know just pushing the limits of my own sanity. Um, the it was better than I thought. I saw the um, documentary I think earlier this year even just because I knew this was coming out and um, want to take a look at it. Um, but yeah, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be because I thought it was going to be like the worst movie of the year, but it's totally not. It's, it's, it's not as uncanny Valley as I thought it would be. Um, like most of his, um, Zemeckis' films. Yeah. I won't even see those other ones because the trailers alone were like nightmarish. This is better. I think the technology is finally advanced enough to like kind of buy it. Also, We've watched more CGI in the last 20 years than than we did when I when he first started doing this shit, you know? So maybe we're just used to it. Like, I watched Infinity, for, Infinity War when I was with my um, family in Ohio, and I was like, this is basically just a cartoon. I mean, almost almost exclusively, <laughs> there's barely any people in this, you know? Infinity um, Wars was really um, just noticeable to me in how, like, artificial it all seems <laughs> yeah yeah there's barely a real shot in that thing i you know uh, so much of it is just like a green screen situation so i don't know maybe we're just like more used to cgi now um and the sort of like softness of the the human body and in, in cgi form but yeah it um it was decent in that like it has what i think is probably Carell's best performance of the year which is hard for me to say as anyone who's listened to this podcast will know because I I think he's trying too fucking hard but this is his like most subtle and complete performance or subtle and most complete performance and it, it's a shame that like this is the one no one's paying attention to because it's it's really emotional and and really like understated in a lot of ways which is surprising um, at least when he's playing the real life person um, Mark Hogan camp um and then, like, when he's the toy, he's he's bigger, which is fine. It, you know, it's a fantasy world. Um, but, yeah, it's really good work. And it's a shame that he's going to, like, look at what he actually got attention for this year and be like, oh, you know what I should make more of? Um, Vice. That's what I should do. I should be, like, crazier. I shouldn't I shouldn't do, like, real people. That's definitely not it. Um, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's better than I thought. I will say... Having seen the documentary, I don't. I think the major problem with Welcome to Marwin is that it does not justify its existence. In that, like the the movie tells the documentary tells us all this and doesn't have to like create a narrative where one doesn't like a clean narrative where one doesn't necessarily exist. Um, but though I will say I was actually surprised and and grateful that they didn't um, cut out the fact that he. The reason he got beat up is that he likes to wear women's shoes, and the a bunch of little, you know, homophobic neo Nazis beat the shit out of him for it. 
So, and I just, I just worried that there would be that sort of erasure, and there, and there wasn't. So I'm, I'm at least happy about that because they, it's like in the first scene, which I was really surprised by, and clearly my audience was surprised by because boy, did they not see it coming. Those. Old yeah, people. I was worried when they didn't show that in the trailer, even though that's like a weird fear to have because they had like two and a half minutes. Yeah. But um, it was. I was happy to learn they didn't cut that out because that's like a. It's a pretty like interesting thing to talk about in like a mainstream movie release being released in like the Christmas holiday. Yeah, like that. Just like when when was the last time you know Drag Race is big now, but like trans transvestiteism, if if that's what you would even call it, or you know, it's it's not like he self defines, but that's the closest thing you can come to because it's not like full drag. Like it, it's uh, where where like when was the last time was, I I don't can't even tell you the last time I saw a piece of art about it. Actually, I probably could. It was like Broadway, like ten years ago. So. You know, it's, it's been a while, and, like, not everyone's watching Broadway. Like, I tried to watch one episode of Drag Race with my family, or by two of my family, like, my dad and my uncle, and I was like, you guys really don't have to sit here for this. And they, like, clearly didn't realize that I was watching the last half of one episode, and then that their another hour and a half episode was going to start, and the, real, finally, the second they realized that they were gone. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I appreciate the film takes the audience on, the, on that journey, even if... I, again, I don't think the movie needs to exist. The, the documentary is very good and actually covers the same time period as this, which is bizarre. Mm. Like it's it's taking place in the past and basically covering the exact same stuff. So I don't I don't know what exists, honestly. And it also sort of creates this sort of uh, I don't know. I don't think it actually happened narrative at the end of like a a comforting romantic thing. I don't know, but whatever. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't suggest anyone see it, though, necessarily. Just watch the documentary. It's much better. Um, next one is Roma, which you saw, and I think you talked about a little bit on, on the pod. Uh, and you're a big fan of it, right? Yeah, I really loved it. I haven't watched it since October, mm. so it's not as fresh in my head, but it mm. was, like, one of the most, like, impressive theatrical experiences of the year, and, um, I really, really loved it. Yeah. I, I think I was I think I heard too much hype about it um, to judge it correctly honestly that's fair <laughs> yeah I, I think it was like I it, I heard way too much about it and, and honestly if I had if I weren't doing this pod I think I would have waited about three years to watch it um, just to a get away from that hype and b I like straight up the if if a film if a studio would like me to watch something, they should release it in theaters. I don't do streaming a lot. Like, if I know it's there forever, it's gonna take me forever. Like, I like Glow, the pilot, but you know how many episodes I've seen? The pilot. That's it. And that's been out for like a year and a half now. So like, and I really like the first season of Jessica Jones, but I didn't even finish it. So yeah, it, I just am, like I, streaming is the way of the future, but I'm not going to be there for it, mostly. And then it was hard to see in theaters because I was out of town and, you know, it was just hard to see in theaters. Also, theater, I have to pay $17.50 for a ticket here. Bring back Movie Pass Studios. Um, anyway, that was a side, a side thing. But yeah, I it's beautifully shot and um, it's just beautifully shot. The, the slow pans uh, that constantly are in it and the slow, like, tracking shots um the one i think is the most incredible uh is the one on the beach when the kids are swimming and she brings cleo the, the sort of main character um who's a, a a domestic for this like 
um, I guess not 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 from Mexico family. They're not from Mexico. They're gringos, right? Is that that's the whole thing? People keep saying it. Um, in I don't know what. I, I don't remember to be honest. What yeah, it's been a I, while. I thought they were Mexican, but I, it's been months. They might be. Yeah, I, I think I was a little confused. They, they are either like from there and a little richer, or they are they're from there. They're not from there, and they moved there like for, like a long time ago. Um, but yeah, they she takes care of this family, and she's they're like living maid, babysitter, cleaning, you know, everything, um, and she like brings one of the kids up to the beach to like dry him off and then there are still two kids in the water and that whole that, that scene is filled with such tension because it like you can't ever leave two kids in the water <laughs> in the water and like a caretaker who can't swim and drama, drama not happen do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah the minute they said she can't swim I'm like oh fuck yeah as, like the mom walking away it's like I get it like you you have things to do but like literally what are you doing like I don't <laughs> And then, like, you know, she gets in the water and all these waves are crashing and you're, like, just sweating the whole time. And that that's one unbroken shot, that whole scene. And it's, it's an incredible piece of, like, acting and and filmmaking and, and everything. And, again, like, the technical aspects are what I, I really thought blew me away about it. But I don't... I did not... I, it, I didn't feel a ton for it, like, emotionally. And, I'm, and again, that's probably because it's... Well, actually, I think it's because it's so, like, long, and there is a remoteness to that camera setup of just panning slowly across these things and sort of just letting things unfold. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's almost a lack of subjectivity to it that keeps you remote from everything that's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you mean. It's the sort of film I really, really loved it, but it's one of those films that I I totally get not loving. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one of those where it really just depends on, like, your um like what works in the films for you and what doesn't and like what you tend to gravitate towards and it's just it's like the sort of film where I'm like like I it's the only one that I will say spoiler alert for my top ten list yeah. that like I loved but like I have no desire to rewatch this necessarily because it is like it's more of like just about the experience of watching it the first time I think and then yeah. um I don't feel this urge to experience it again necessarily. I was just, I was really swept up into the first time. And I will say, to go back to what you were saying about streaming, I'm happy Netflix produced it because, like, it exists now. But, like, it really, it's the worst film for their platform. It's a deep disservice. Like, even I had to watch it at home and I, I kept hoping I would have time to see it in the theater. And, like, I sort of missed out on the chance because a friend of mine and I watch movies on a, on a big screen every weekend and we watch whatever we want. And, like, because we have access to this theater, and he and he watched it bef- like the day before because he assumed I'd seen it, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, ah, that would have been perfect. And like, because I didn't get that chance, I kept not seeing it, not seeing it, and then like, I basically had to watch it about eight hours before we we recorded this at like four in the morning just to finally watch it. And it was like, "Fucking a!" Like, this should be on a big screen. Again, huge disservice to the film, even though it's very accessible to everyone. So like. It's unfortunate. This is the one film that I think it's unfortunate is not getting, you know, didn't get a huge release in a way. Like, I certainly couldn't have seen it in Ohio, in Col- even in Columbus, which is a major city, you know? Yeah, it's the sort of, like, it's funny, um, over the holidays, on Netflix, what, like, December 14th, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Over the holidays, 
Bird Box came out. And it was just so interesting because at every holiday event I was at, whether it be with friends who are more, like, my friends are not, like, quite as into movies as, like, you and I are and people yeah. from the site. But, like, they're they're up on things and they know, like, what's what's big. And then with my family who are not into movies at all, everyone had heard of Bird Box and yeah. not a single person was, like, remotely interested in Roma. So it's just the sort of thing, yeah. not, like, that's not meant as, like, any sort of dig at anybody. It's just funny to me. It's, like... Netflix invested all this money in this movie mm-hmm. that, like, the, it's, it's difficult to market the same way you market Bird Box. You can't make memes about Roma, necessarily. <laughs> um, and then, like, it just it just kind of was dropped on there. And yeah. I'm like, I feel like everybody involved at Netflix was like, we made a good movie, but we have literally zero interest in actually, like, supporting it. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about their platform is that, like, each... It is, they release so much content that the stuff that's actually going to draw someone into watching it when they're just, like, flipping through, I don't know who does that, but clearly that's everyone but, like, film buffs, you know, like, you and I or something. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just going to choose the weirdest thing. And Roma isn't weird. <laughs> it's, it's long. It's, you know, pretty dark. I mean, there's some devastating shit in it. Um, yeah, there's one shot that, like, Oh, it's. I was gonna bring like tell my parents to watch it, but I'm like, eh, I don't know. You might turn it off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's it's brutal. It's fucking brutal, and like no one's gonna choose to watch that on fucking Christmas. Like I would, but I'm a weirdo. Like I want a film to fuck me up. Like <laughs> I I felt energized at the end of like certain you know certain depressed Vox Lux for instance. Like the rest of my audience seemed like they were you know, smacked in the face, and I was like, man, that was thrilling. So, like, yeah, I, the average American is not going to, like, flip through Netflix on, you know, December 23rd and think, like, well, do we want to watch the the blindfold one with two big, with, a like, a couple big stars? Or do we want to watch the one about, like, non-actor, or, like, new actors that we've never heard of that's in Spanish um, and it's black and white? I know exactly what people would choose. <laughs> it's not fucking Roma. It's just, like... I don't know. Like not to mention, I think with Roma, the first thirty minutes are very slow and yeah. like don't like are, are like the point of them is to draw people in and like you know get you involved into this whole world. Yeah, and that works really well in the theater, especially with how beautiful the sound design is in the film. Like yeah. you really just like feel so involved in what's going on around you. But um, at home, like I will even say, like I will be, I will get distracted. I am so thankful I did not watch Roma at home the first time because I know I would not have appreciated it yeah. the same the same way as I did in a theater. And I like I think that's in a way a dig at the movie or a flaw a flaw at the film or at the very least a flaw at Netflix because yeah. it's like at home viewing is just different than theater viewing. That's like a fact. Yeah. And yeah, it, those thirty minutes don't I don't think will work at home. It's forty five. It's 45. Yeah. Yeah. It's 45 minutes before the movie even sort of has a plot, you know? Um, Which is, uh, again, you're right. Like, in a theater, I would go with it. But, like, it's a tough sell at 3 in the morning, (laughs) you know, for, for, like, someone sitting at home who just saw, like, four movies earlier that day. You you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a tough sell. And I am ready for it. And, like... Well, thankfully, the the uh, subtitles make make you have to keep engaged with it in a way, like unless you know Spanish, obviously, um, which I don't know well enough to like watch a film uh, without looking at subtitles. But 
Yeah, I don't. I can't imagine like the average person who just like sees it going like going on that journey, like and not stopping about until you know after half an hour or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a tough sell, and it's a very good, well-made movie, but it, it should have been a, th- a major theater release and then shown up on Netflix like six months later. It just absolutely should have. It's a, it's a huge mistake of the Netflix you know, thing. And people will watch it when it's nominated for Oscars, but I think it's already pretty clear that it probably won't, if it, it'll probably be nominated for foreign rather than, you know, best picture. So like even less people will see it than they should. Do you know what I mean? I think it will get a best picture nomination, but I think its chances of winning have basically evaporated. Oh, there's zero. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. It's so, like, I, I'm curious, and I think this is a testament to how poorly Netflix did yeah. in releasing this film, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they do next year, yeah. because next year they have two films from Steven Soderbergh and a film from Martin Scorsese, yeah. so it's like, and like on a much smaller scale, like a film from Dee Reese, who did um, Mudbound. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, which I still even haven't seen, because it's on a streaming service. Really? Oh, you'd love Mudbound. I know I would, um, but you know what? They should have released it in theaters wider. No, I will tell, I saw my bad at the New York Film Festival, so I never even watched it on Netflix. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's like it'll be interesting to see what they do next year because they have films that are more accessible to um, to mainstream audiences that like could yeah. actually make a wave. Like we've seen this year with more mainstream stuff, how Netflix movies can actually enter the mainstream conversation, like with Tall the Boys in Love before, yeah, and Bird Box. So I'm like, but it's all like weird genre stuff and I think that's the mistake they're making is thinking that they can convert that easily into prestige pictures when that's a different market and they need to market it in a different way they yeah it'll be interesting do. next next Oscar season will be very very interesting because they'll have to try harder <laughs> yeah they're gonna have to because like Buster Scruggs people watch because it's weird like that's the thing that's what's gonna catch you when you're looking through goddamn Netflix is if it sounds familiar you're probably not gonna watch it you know no, yeah, exactly. It really is. It's like Roma's like the the, the thumbnail on the on the um, streaming services, like the shot of them all hugging. Yeah. Which is eye catching, but I I would not be like in, interested in watching it based on that. Yeah. If I read the description and didn't know what it, and then saw how long it was, I'd be like, maybe someday, you know. Then I'd go watch fucking Christmas Prince again. No, I <laughs> that's it's so bad. <laughs> I'd probably watch another episode of Nailed It. Is what I would do. Um, but yeah, we should move on. Um, it's a shame that Roma is just what a disaster Netflix did there. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is Mary Poppins, which I saw very early and was going to review for the site, but then just sort of didn't have time. Um, and uh, I saw it at uh, with a Q and A with Emily Blunt and Lin Manuel Miranda afterwards, and it was a life changing experience. Uh, Emily Blunt looked in, my, looked in my direction for about half a second, and I almost passed out. Um, but yeah, you've seen it. You did not see the original Mary Poppins, Matt. I want to. No, hear... and I've had numerous people message me like asking how I have not watched it yet. Yeah. And um, I will just like to say that um, to defend myself, <laughs> when um, I showed an interest in film at a very very young age, my parents just like constantly rented things that they liked to show me, and my parents had an intense hatred for Mary Poppins. Yeah. So. I was not shown it as a kid, and I once I got old enough to have an agency and took my own movies, I 
thought I was too old for Mary Poppins. So I never got around to seeing it, and I was planning on watching it before seeing Mary Poppins Returns, but I did not have time. Yeah. So I just saw it. I went in blind. <laughs> I love you. You said to make like an official announcement, like uh, like in a celebrity who said like dealing with really harsh rumors or something. <laughs> I should have like typed it in my in my notes. Uh, <laughs> like, tweeted out. Just read it, read it very formally. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you, uh, did you feel lost at all narratively? I mean, there's not really a narrative, which is the problem with both films. No, I got the gist. It's like, you know, she's, yeah. she's Mary Poppins. She does her shit, and it's like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like capitalism's terrible. Like, we get it, you know? <laughs> it's really just like a, an excuse for, like, half-animated, uh, you know, scenes and, like, a couple great little musical numbers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was fun. Um, the person I saw yeah. with didn't like it very much, but that is because she has less tolerance for... Um, musicals with no narrative than I do like I I will I'll go pretty much anywhere for spectacle um I don't really care if there's a point honestly for the most part like when it comes to musicals other things I I do care but like musicals I'm like listen if there's some great dancing and a good song or two like what who cares that's what I come to the theater for um yeah uh there I will say though like there are not a ton of songs I remember from well, no, that's not true. Mary Poppins has a couple of great songs, like the original. Mary Poppins Returns does not have memorable songs, but man, in the moment, they are a blast. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, exactly. I, I, that, that seems to be the common criticism of like how the songs are memorable. And I mean, I guess in a way that's true, but those like every single musical number was so entertaining in the moment. Yeah. That like I don't care. Like, I like to be totally honest, just based on what type of music it is, I would never listen to that that soundtrack in my day to day life. No. Like. Even if the songs were really great, so mm-hmm. I'm like I don't care. Like it's like it's 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 fine. Yeah, I mean I probably would because it's Mark Shaven, Scott Woodman who who did who did let's bring it back to Smash everyone who did a lot of the bombshell stuff for Smash and that was um, my most listened to artist last year was the Smash cast. Really? Oh, that's imp- that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but my my 2018 Spotify Unwrapped is wild, everyone. Um, but also totally predictable in many ways. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, like I probably would have listened to it, but it is it is deeply forgettable, but absolutely wonderful in the moment. That like that fucking like um, very obvious like Chicago type number in front of the that where like Emily Blunt puts on a brunette wig and a bowler hat and like dances for the um, animated animals is really thrilling. That whole animated sequence is genuinely one of the, the best scenes of the year. Yeah, totally. And the movie never reaches those heights again, I think. But, mm. I mean, I was living for that entire 20-minute scene. Yeah. And it's early on, that scene. So it, it does it does sort of, like, build up a lot. And then you're like, oh, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, but it's charming. Like, it's sort of thing. I, I think it has this disservice of coming out the same year as like Paddington 2 yeah. because like they're very similar tonally and even yeah. with the cast yeah. and Paddington 2 just has so much more like genuine passion behind it whereas this one it does in its weaker moments feel like a Disney corporate like yeah. um, money grab yeah. but it, it has some really great scenes in it and Emily Blunt's really charming yeah yeah it's funny that like Paddington it's there, that comparison keeps getting made and it's like it's so funny because like Paddington 2 Two and, and Paddington in general it sort of is doing 
Mary Poppins in a way that I didn't realize. So like, it's clearly, <laughs> you know, inspired in a certain way filmically by like by the original Mary Poppins. So it's funny that like it, the snake has eaten its, eaten its own tail, and now it's being you know the new Mary Poppins is being compared to something that like clearly was influenced by it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's 100%. That's 100% true. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, Emily Blunt is phenomenal in it. And, like, so... She takes a very... Not a very different... Um, she's a little more, like, ironic and, like, sort of possibly uh, more, like, new, chaotic neutral, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> than, like, Julie Andrews's take. And it's it's smart to, like, take a different take on it because if she was just doing a Julie Andrews impression, it would be very difficult. Um, but, yeah, it's really... It's like she's kind of like, kind of a bitch, and I I enjoyed that a lot, and like very wry. Uh, I know it didn't work for everyone that sort of take on the performance where she just like doesn't doesn't quite give a shit. Do you know what I mean? Like she does deep down, but she's not showing that to anyone. You know what I mean? Like yeah, she just kind of like does what she wants. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Likes like, to cause drama. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's just living for she's living for the gram. Um, yeah, I don't know. She just sort of is like a little more like anarchic than than the Julie Julie Andrews version is. Um, like in, in Julie Andrews version, like you believe that when she sings "Spoonful of Sugar," she really wants those kids to take medicine. And Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins probably doesn't care if kids take medicine. <laughs> Are we saying that Mary Poppins is anti-vax? Is that what you're <laughs> She just like is not gonna like invest up too much emotionally. Like she knows kids are dumb, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it, it, like, and I I appreciate that because it, yeah, I I didn't know what to expect, and I was like, I'm not in the mood for like cute kids be and like a cute nanny and like everyone's just cute and it's like no, nah, she's a badass. Yeah, I kind of I was I, I think it's a s- smart way to sort of update it, but yeah, it's it's charming and. She's really, really like God damn, she's charming. My goodness. Um, and Lin Manuel is also there. Like he's in the movie. Let's. That's it. Yeah, I hate to say it because I think he's one of like the most talented people in the world. Yeah. Um, but I think he's like act actually quite bad in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He um, just yeah. It's it's I don't. He's not necessarily an actor. Let's say. I think it's like. It's a bad part, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I get what they're going for, but it's like, I think no matter who played him, it would come off as annoying. Yeah. But, like... It, it fucked over Dick Van Dyke, it fucked over Lin-Manuel, and th- both those people are very compelling. Yeah, I mean, I love Lin-Manuel. We can podcast once about how I think Hamilton is the greatest piece of art ever made in my lifetime, but, um, <laughs> like, I, I... I'm like, ooh, maybe don't act anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. on screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Next movie I want to talk about, I saw it last night as well, is On the Basis of Sex, which you haven't seen, and we were going to maybe see today together, but then the schedules didn't work out, blah, blah, blah. Um, it is better than I thought. Uh, Felicity Jones and Army Hammer are really lovely in it. I, I jokingly said on Letterboxd, look, it's not a joke, I mean it. Like, <laughs> come, like if you take this and uh, RBG, like, listen, Ruth and Marty are this, 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 2018 sexiest on-screen couple and you can fight me on it um hey boy do those two have chemistry in this movie um and they're also like it's hilarious because it's like um i'm stealing from someone else and i don't remember who but it's like if like a hummel figure were dating marmaduke that's the the height difference between these two people um (laughs) 
and it's kind of like they they make a point of it early on. It's like there's a super sort of like sexy moment where where they're like talking and sh- and he says something sort of teasing and she's like, "Why don't you come down here and say that to my face?" And I was like, "Oh, guys, stop it!" Please do. I was like, "Ruth, come on!" Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's quite good and and I think it doesn't cover enough time, honestly, because um, it's just like the first case that she ever really argues. And I, I would almost want to see, like, skip the college years and, like, get to the case stuff. But I am a bit more of a law nerd than most people, so I can see why they wouldn't do that. My one criticism about the film is that it it almost implies that the only reason, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is allowed to do all this stuff is because she has a family. Like, all these people are, like, help... Like, her daughter helps her with a breakthrough in in how to argue the case, which is bizarre because like if you watch RBG for instance, it's it's very clear that Ginsburg knew exactly what she was doing and which cases to argue and like her argument style is very deliberate and well well researched. So the ending is a little odd when it makes it seem as, as if she sort of is off the cuff on all of it. Do you you know? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like a, I haven't seen it yet, but that sounds like a very um, biopic move. Like, just yeah. like, we gotta have this cutesy scene where the kid teaches something. Yeah, that's kind of what what, hap- what like what happens in it, and like, I don't know. It just there's and there's also this like un unacknowledged um, sort of like I I mean I think it's intentional that like Mel the Mel character who's who's a, a ACLU um, guy like lawyer um, who used to be like a camp counselor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg which is just like the most bizarre thing I've ever heard um, I'm sure it's true it's just like what a, what a twist of fate that your like camp counselor becomes like the head of the ACLU and it's like oh my god I'm I'm interested in that too like <laughs> what is happening <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah like. There, he talks down to her in a way that, like, we're supposed to read as him being, like, um, you know, challenging her in the right way, but, like, she's not a fucking idiot. That's clear from her career. Um, and also, he's he's being a sexist asshole, and no one, like, says it. I don't know. It's bizarre to me, and I, I, don't, I don't know why that's happening and what's going on there, but... It is very, very good. I think it's, it's a, it's a really good biopic, and, and it didn't feel very biopicy except for those two, probably major issues. But um, yeah, the performances are great. Like Felicity Jones is so good. We are like so lucky to have her around. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm excited to see her in it because I've yet to like really be wowed wow by a performance of hers. Unless, unless I'm blanking out or something, but I don't, I don't think so. But um, yeah. I like, like the like, She looks very good in the trailer. Yeah. Um, Army Hammer has never looked better than he has in the trailer. Oh, so I'm excited for God. that. The whole time. Uh, I, I plan, it goes wide. I think in like mid January, and I look. I'm looking forward to seeing it then. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, they are so attractive in this film, and especially like the clothing they're wearing, and and Ruth. Bader Ginsburg and, and Marty Ginsburg are were attractive people, you know. Like it's it's not actually out of the realm of possibility for them to be played by two beautiful people, but these are two of the most beautiful people currently alive. So it's just like, holy shit! Like it's a lot. I was I was into it. Um, like cast them in something else. Someone I want to watch that. Uh, anyway, it was pretty good. Um, but the movie we we're gonna talk a lot about. Um, 
which we're going to probably go over a little bit, people. I, I apologize. But is um, is Vice, which you and I both saw yesterday. Um, not together, but just happened to both see. Um, and I am... I hated the big short. I thought it was obnoxious and smug and, and literally, like, smug about, like, a subject everybody, to me, at least, I, I feel like everybody knows. Like, no shit, Sherlock. Like, read a, like if you read a newspaper in the 10 years before that movie came out, you knew all of it, you know? So it was weird to me that someone was, like, mansplaining it to everyone for an hour and a half and felt like, or, like, two and a half hours and felt so smug about it. Also, my major problem with that movie is that Women are literally ornamental in that film, you know? Like, Margot Robbie in a bathtub drinking champagne, great. I want to see that. But she's literally, like, an ornament in that film. She's just an object for, like, people to lust after. And it's like, I don't know if you... Like, I, I, I feel like Adam McKay might hate women, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, which this vice reaffirmed in my mind and made it even clearer, honestly. Um, but what did you think of vice? Um, so I will say very quickly with the big short, I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I had not seen it since it came out, so I have like I, I can't even talk about um what I like remember what I liked about it specifically. You're totally spot on with your um women are ornamental in it reading. I mean that that's undeniable. Yeah, the only um, thing that the, the, all the f female characters in that movie are either themselves or literally called like wife. Like look yeah. at it, you can look at it in the credits. And um. I will say though, as someone who does not understand the stock market or Wall Street stuff at all, yeah. <laughs> I like that movie to me I found um, quite like I, I enjoyed the way I don't know if enjoy is the right word. I liked yeah. the way he explained it because it helped me understand it, which is from what I understand exactly what the book itself does, which I've never read. But yeah. um, and but it's funny you you meant you opened your review of the big short with that because I felt the same way about Vice mm -hmm. and I consider myself very very well read with political news and just political history I, I was young during the Bush Cheney years but like I remember it all very very well yeah and um, even just from like hearing my parents talk about it and like I found the way he explains things um, in Vice very frustrating and condescending. Oh boy, is More it so not because of how he explains it, even though I think he takes very simplistic metaphors to explain things. Yeah. But more so just because it has this sort of tone of like, you all let this happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, you think we all let this happen because you're like a straight white guy who thinks you're fucking smart. You're the reason this happened, you dumb bastard. Like, are you kidding what? me? Like... Yeah, it's, it's so condescending to the audience, and it actually treats the audience like they're fucking stupid and have were born, like, today. Like, today they were born. <laughs> like, it, it's... No, yeah. Only adults are watching this film, you stupid asshole. Like, we all lived through the last 20 years. Are you this goddamn dumb? Like, I don't understand how he possibly thinks he's telling us anything fucking new. It's shocking oh, to yeah. I remember the. Um, I was ten when they got re when they got reelected. Yeah. Um, I remember that so vividly, and like having the news on constantly. And even though I was not like politically active at ten, yeah. like I like I remember it all. And it's you know it's the sort of thing. Um, I was trying on Letterbox, and when I was talking about online, to be very careful with how I worded it because I don't want to use like buzzwords to like which yeah. lead to like a lack of discussion. Yeah. But I think it's it's very clear 
that like Adam McKay is very limited in how he can interpret history because yeah. it's entirely through like a straight white guy's point of view. Yeah, that's true. And like, it's well like you know, I guys. think we need to take an effort, make an effort to like show that you know, like how straight white men lived through and interpreted history is not the same as other people. And I think it's very telling that like the whole movie is narrated through this point of view of like a white working class straight dude who gets fucked over by Cheney. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the uh, marginalized people who are... Um, who lost a lot more. Who lost a lot more are like shoved off until like the second to last scene in a moment that is somewhat effective but I was just like you know those people were being politically active and speaking out against things like it just because one set of people didn't doesn't mean that nobody did yeah yeah I just like you know I, I just kept thinking the whole time like women and people of color would watch that movie be like yeah dumbass we knew this like who are you who are you indicting indict yourself like especially like <laughs> no this is a fucking guy who like you know, there's a point at the end there where, like, um, oh, we're just going to spoil the whole thing because who gives a... F- it's fucking history. We're all... We were yeah, it's all, real life. Yeah, we we're all there for it, for God's sake. But, like, the end of the movie, he sort of makes this point that, like, you know, um, the the family would, is willing to sell out their own their own daughter, uh, who is, who's a lesbian, um, in order to, like, have political gain. And it's like, listen, that argument would be more convincing from someone who also didn't use women in the same way in his films. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. none of those f- female characters are developed. Even, even honestly, Lynn Cheney feels underdeveloped. Like, we don't, he doesn't show any of that. He tells us in voiceover in the first 10 minutes who she is, which is a device, but also a lazy one that makes it seem like you don't give a shit about women, which, again, clearly said over and over again it's fascinating this that this little motherfucker makes i hate him so much <laughs> as a director <laughs> i think he's such a fucking hack um that like every time he makes a criticism about americans not being engaged it's through a woman talking about pop culture it's fascinating to me and yeah and the pop culture he indicts is always stuff that like stereotypically is aimed more towards women well and, and or people um, of color like the Fast and Furious dig right at the end during the credits, you know who watches those films? Non-white people. That's who. All over the fucking world. So it's real smug and real fucking, like, colorblind and just genderblind to make that argument through a, what is a, a straight woman. It's shocking that he mm-hmm. could be... No, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating, and um, especially since if we're going to look at his entire filmography, which I think... Like, I, I've been trying to do that more often while, like, yeah. critiquing films this year. Um, his, like, filmography uh, during the Bush years was, like, movies that, which I like, but they're dumb comedies. Like, yeah. it's like he made his name on Anchorman and Step Brothers yeah. and... Um, films uh, I love, by the way. Films I watched over and over again in high school. Oh, yeah, no, they're great. I think the other guys, which would make me obvious, if we're going to be technical, mm-hmm. is... Um, like one of the best comedic films of the 2010s. Um, he's a really gifted comedic director, I think, but it's so hypocritical and frustrating for him to like make fun of people for enjoying pop culture yeah. that is geared towards um, women or people of color. And then it's like, 
like you were making that too. Like <laughs> yeah, this fucker made he made he produced Land of the Lost for God's sake. Who needed it? Who needed that? I forgot about that movie. <laughs> yeah, as we all should have. As we no one needed this. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible to me that like one could be so smug yet also not self reflect in any any way at all. Just just none of it. No self reflection at all. Uh, it's it's it blows my mind. It blows my mind that like. It just blows my mind. That said, I I like the movie more than I thought I would because it is, from a filmmaking standpoint, really creative and exciting, and I, there's just like brilliant point, like stuff in it. Like the scene that I kept thinking about, like formally, it's a it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. I will say that, like because of the way it's edited and all of this, like almost I don't know. It's like maximalist filmmaking in a way where like all things are happening all at once to mean something. Like there's this sort of like Kuleshov effect uh, editing where like seemingly disparate images are meant to emphasize things that are said. Um, and like the scene I, I thought was so like I couldn't believe that like made me think like wow I can't believe this is in here. What a what a what a bold choice is the Shakespeare part. Uh, <laughs> I hated that scene. <laughs> I love that. I, I thought it was like, even even if it like, just as a piece of like experiments uh, with filmmaking, it, it, it works. Even if it doesn't like necessarily work at all. Um, just the, the audacity of it impressed me. Just to be like, seconds before that, be like, well, there's no, you know, we don't know what happened in that scene or what in, in this moment in their lives. It's not like we can have some. There's, there was. We don't know if there was some big Shakespearean soliloquy, and they just steal a soliloquy from uh, probably like Richard III or something like that. Um, is is impressive to me. I thought it was like I was into it. It's it's a totally arrogant thing to do, but like, it's arrogance in the right direction in a film that is driven by arrogance. Do you know? See, the funny thing is. Um... I thought he did all of that stuff that you're mentioning so much better in the big short. Mm. And then in Vice, I found it... A major thing was just, it was so infrequently deployed. Like, yeah. especially with... um, He does a lot of the same celebrity cameos um, yeah. that he did. Even though with, like, n no shade towards Alfred Molina and Naomi Watts. But, like, I was like, these are the biggest people you could get <laughs> for, this, for the celebrity cameos for this movie. Yeah. Um, but, like... They're so infrequently deployed as like these devices where it comes off as like afterthoughts and very weird to me. Yeah. And um, with the stuff like the Shakespearean monologue scene, I just like I hate I hate using this word in the review, yeah. but like it was so pretentious to me <laughs> where yeah. I was just like, you know, like for whatever reason back in 2015 when I saw The Big Short, and I don't know how I feel about it now, those moments which were probably pretentious as well felt earned to me and in this one I like you did not earn any of this yeah I felt totally opposite about it because like it's I, I think because the scale and and the world they're working in lends itself to sort of Shakespearean like Macbethy sort of stuff um that I was more willing to accept it here in a place where it made it seemed to make more sense like you know in, in political sort of like backdoor dealings kind of thing than it does in, in a movie about like the financial system which is not not so sort of like epically you know Shakespearean lending lending itself to that sort of milieu so like yeah I get to, I, but I've definitely felt opposite about it. like the big short I think is a flaming pile of shit um, that like 
I wish I hadn't watched in the first place. But for me, all that stuff works here because of the world he's putting in it. You know? Mm-hmm. No, I get what you. I get what you mean, and I'm. I see what he's going for. Mm-hmm. I read um, in the Hollywood Reporter yeah. that like a scene that was planned to be filmed but ended up not making it was um, a musical number in the style of Hamilton. Oh. And oh God. That, yeah, that really informed me that it was just like I. I really think he thought he was making like the modern Hamilton, and it's like, but like. Not like I'm not gonna compare Hamilton to this, but like it's like he, his his view of history is so narrow, yeah. And um, like the broader points he's trying to make about Cheney and yeah. um the other players in the story yeah. are so like I don't know like obvious. Like there there are yeah. things that have been talked about for ages where I'm like nothing new is being added here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, absolutely. Um. Boy, that Hamilton thing would have been, like I already said it, but it would have made explicit how unaware that dude is of like, like race at all in America if he had done that. Uh, truly. It would have been an absolute disaster and I'm very happy it did not happen. Yeah, I mean that, my God, that is, that is so bad. I can't even imagine how, that would have, holy shit, what a dumbass. Um, <laughs> well, that wraps up our our uh, our discussion of Vice. <laughs> I will say very quickly, um, Bale and, a- and Adams are both really, really good in it, and like yeah. I don't want Adams to win for this because Regina King is around. Yeah, but um, they're both great, and Steve Carell is really fucking terrible in it, and I need him to stop being dramatic in movies now. Yeah, it's bad. Um, yeah, I wish Amy Adams had stuff to do and weren't just like given motivation in a voiceover in the beginning and then just told to play basically the same note for the rest of it. Um, she does all the heavy lifting in, like, for that character. Yeah, yeah. But, like, <laughs> great work, Adam. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Uh, all right, so we're going to talk about top tens. Um, do you want to just go back and forth, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or do you want to go backwards from ten, ten to one? What are your thoughts? Let's do ten to one. Okay. Gotta, we got to keep the suspense going. Yeah, you can uh, You go first. So I was debating for a while. Oh, I should say, as a preface, my top ten, with one exception, I really just went with like the movies I find the most rewatchable because this year had a lot of like really good movies, and um, this is just the movies that I'm most interested in watching over and over again. Yeah. Um, so my number ten is Wildlife, which I don't think we both spoke about on the pod, but. Um, I saw it at New York Film Festival, and it has really stuck with me. I think Carrie Mulligan's performance as this divorced mom, uh, or this mom going through a divorce, is like one of the most powerful performances of the year, and it has really stuck with me. And I'm, I I hope more people discover it as it becomes available on streaming and on demand, and um, on home video. Yeah. yeah, I didn't connect with that as much as I hoped, but uh, she's phenomenal, and it's a shame she's not getting any buzz for it. Um, my number 10 is uh, Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. Um, okay. What a fabulous time in the theater. I saw it twice. I saw it once in IMAX. I would see it again. Uh, that, that, it was in IMAX? Oh, I, I, yeah, for like a minute, <laughs> and I saw it. <laughs> That's amazing. It was, it was a life-changing experience. Um, 
It was for like a friend's birthday too, and I almost missed it because I, you, you and I were recording a, a podcast actually, and I had the time wrong. Um, so I had to rush up to Lincoln Square. Uh, but yeah, it was a delight. I saw it twice. I would see it again. I listened to that soundtrack over and over and over again after it came out, particularly um, Cher's version of Fernando. We, we went to, after seeing it in IMAX, we went to go, um, we did karaoke, and I just did ABBA songs as Cher, for, because I have a pretty low voice. So I just did, I did Fernando, I did every ABBA song I could find as Cher. Which is, because I, you know, I listened to Believe a lot as a kid, and let me tell you, I got a good share, share impression in my pocket for when it's a singing voice. Um, but yeah, that was, I love that movie, and I, I reviewed it for the site if people want to read it. Um, um it, Cher, uh, she didn't do this in the film, but she did that whole ABBA cover album this year. Oh yeah. Her version of Gimme 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 is like one of my favorite songs. Oh, it's so good, and it's, she totally steals that like great riff in um, that Madonna song, right? Is that the one where she... <laughs> that has that that sounds like oh yeah um what is the name of the Madonna song yeah. um, I can't think of the Madonna song but it's it's that's one of those like irresistible pop yeah hooks, so it's like that Madonna song is great because of how great that hook is yeah yeah absolutely and and it's I like I don't even care that Cher fully lifted it um what is your number nine my number nine is one of the best romantic comedies in years, Crazy Rich Asians, mm. which I'm obsessed with. Um, I my, my love of romantic comedies is no secret, and I think being able to see this romantic comedy in the heart of the summer um, in a crowded theater twice was just such like a fantastic experience. And I think it's a really big shame that Michelle Yeoh is getting no Oscar buzz for one of my favorite supporting performances of the year. Seriously, what the fuck? Honestly. It's bizarre. She should be told like the Golden Globes. What are you doing? What are you doing? Golden it's a Globes? shame. It's like she's so great in it. I don't know if you've been following this movie that's coming out in 2019, hmm. um, but Paul Feig is oh, doing. I, um, are you kidding? Uh, my friend and I have been. I I each other about it the second it they announced it. I, I can't wait. Last Christmas, yeah, and she's gonna be in it, and I'm like. Where can I pre-order tickets? I know. I was like, where, like, can I buy, where, as, as soon as I can buy tickets, I will buy many of them. Please, please let me know, America. It's like November 2019, and I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my number nine, I had some tough, I had a tough time with this. It was all, it was very nearly shoplifters, but it didn't end up making my list. Um, my list numbering is very loose, by the way, everyone. Uh, you could probably switch most of these, but my number nine is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which I just love those damn Mission Impossible movies, and I saw this thing, um, I, I made a point to see this thing over and over again in the theaters. Um, I think it's like technically impeccable, the score is great, the cinematography is maybe some of my favorite of the year, but no, it is some of my favorite of the year. Um, and it's just a god is it a complete action film it's just such i just i had a blast with it i i want to watch it over and over and over again until i die honestly I it's just wonderful it, so it was probably my number 11 um yeah what a great movie yeah i almost i had i almost didn't include it but i was just like no i love that movie so much it makes no sense for me to not include it i love it um but yeah uh number eight uh, my number eight is Black Panther, and I, it was funny because for a while after watching it the first time, I didn't think it would make my top ten, yeah. but then I rewatched it over the summer, and I just realized it's like, it is such a fantastic 
like piece of pop culture filmmaking. It's how I feel like it's how I, I imagine it must have felt to like live through Star Wars in the seventies of mm. just like you're suddenly immersed in this entire universe of like new characters and new worlds. And I know it's technically part of like this Marvel umbrella, yeah. but I mean it it doesn't take a genius to see that it's like it's miles beyond any world building that any other Marvel film has done. It's really just a stunning film. Ryan Coogler is our next Steven Spielberg, I think. And um, I 100% just love the movie. And also, it's technically one of the best like costume design, score, um, sound design, visual effects films of the year. Yeah. And that soundtrack is great. So it's like, it's yeah. just. As a pop culture phenomenon, you can't get much better. <laughs> it is a complete bit of commercial filmmaking in 2018, and like it's 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 impeccable. It's impeccable. This was the year that studios really got their shit together, I think, and mm-hmm. released really interesting, unique films. And this is what like the peak of that, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like, I really enjoyed a lot of the um, comic book output I saw this year. I mean, I, I enjoy. I actually enjoyed the shit out of Aquaman. A couple days ago, honestly. Um, and I can't believe I, I enjoyed any comic book films this year because a lot of them I, you know, it's a lot of it feels like uh, eating my vegetables on some level. Um, mm-hmm. My number eight is uh, technically I think it it was like made in 2017 but it came out this year so I'm, I'm counting it. Um, a couple of mine have some weird release date questions but it is a documentary about Grace Jones called Grace Jones, Bloodlights and Bammy. Um, which I saw pretty early this year and it blew me away. It is, it's a concert doc, but it's also like um, just a documentary about her life that's been filmed over a very long period of time. Um, that like she just finally, she, she sort of was involved in the production of it as well and just like was having this guy follow her around and film her stuff. And it's like, it's her family life, it's her concert so the concert imagery is incredible. They don't always show a full performance, but um, like she is on the level of someone like Prince or Bowie, but maybe has never gotten the sort of like fawning love as those as those artists. Even though she's also equally like, um, sorry, there's an alarm going off in the background. Um, hopefully, someone shuts their car off very soon. <laughs> but um, she like has done the work that they do uh, at the same level even than the, as those two artists um, and has also been as gender fluid as they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not as familiar with her work, but her gender fluidity that I, is what I know her for and it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and like her music is actually great. Like I had listened to some of it and I probably, not as much as I probably should have beforehand but then I started listening to it afterwards and I was like man this is great like there's some really good shit in here and she's she's producing in a way that like you know Prince didn't even do after a while you know um cause he sort of I mean both of them became more reclusive but she's been steadily producing for a long time and, and was still perform is still performing live all the time and the concert footage is incredible like I read there's a uh, a comic book I've, I've sort of reviewed for the site a number of times called The Wicked and the Divine about pop stars as, pop stars as gods um, like gods come back as pop stars uh, to like be, be muses for for mankind and I, during this I just kept feeling like my god she she is a god come back in a pop star form and, and it, like 
the performances are so elemental and like magic and beautifully filmed and all this incredible lighting and it, it does feel like she's casting a spell it's, it's incredible um but yeah I, I love a i love a doc and i love a concert doc and it, boy is this it's really good and it's hard to it's not like streaming anywhere for free but it's absolutely worth a purchase if you can it's a shame that like you're not going to get the full sound experience of it because it's very immersive when you're watching it, but um, it's very good. Uh, people should watch it. I need to see that one. Yeah. Uh, number seven. Number seven. My number seven is If Beale Street Could Talk, oh. which um, is just like similar to Moonlight, just so impeccably made because yeah. Barry Jenkins is like talented on, on a level that few other directors today are working on. Yeah. But. Um, what really just works for me is I just think it's this really beautiful, uh, we talked about Douglas Sirk a few weeks ago, like it feels like this Sirkian um, romance film wrapped up in a social issues movie, yeah. and there are just some shots that are just so breathtaking. I've been seeing the commercials a lot lately on TV, it's going wide, I believe, January 4th, mm. and um, just some of the imagery, and with coupled with Nicholas Patel's like, exemplary score, it's like, it, it's really just beautiful filmmaking <laughs> yeah it's the best I, I i am finally gonna put a piece out about um favorite scores of the year who's top five um and that is on there it's it's uh, that score is so good it's like one of the best i've ever heard honestly it's gorgeous it's some it's and, so creative like yeah. it, no, no score sounds like that <laughs> right well it, i i'm gonna disagree on that but i've <laughs> Because there's there's a very, yeah it's a very clear reference that it's sort of making but like yeah it's incredible, um, but yeah it's a beautiful score and, and again beautiful filmmaking, and it's it's actually funny that it's at your number seven because the reason I didn't like it as much as I should is is because I saw the number set my number seven very like very days before it, um, and that's the hate you give and it's like that is such a. Um, they're both about systemic racism in America and, and the hate you give felt like such a live wire to me that it actually cast a shadow on, on any film about, um, that, that like that exact subject matter for me. Like it was so good that I, I, I think it made me like not like as bad as a couple movies that I saw right after it that had the same subject matter. Um, just cause it, it, it felt so of the moment and so like impactful and, I don't know, and like a lot, and like vital in a way that I, I didn't, in, in a way that like made Beale Street feel remote to me. Um, but I also had read the book, so I don't know, I, I just thought, but I, anyway, I think The Hey You Give is like one of the best movies of the year, and it's a shame that not A, not a lot of people even knew about it, or B, that it didn't get more attention, like awards-wise, because it's very well made, honestly. Yeah, it's a really good film. It's not on my top ten, but I really did like The Hate You Give quite a bit. And for a book that was such a phenomenon, I'm shocked at how quiet the film's release was. Yeah, it was weird. I saw, like, an early screening at uh, at the Alamo on a Thursday or whatever it was, and it was basically empty, and I just couldn't believe that. Because that, that, that book was at number one on the like New York Times bestseller list for, like, months. And I don't know. I don't know what happened there. And maybe it was the marketing... I'm not really sure. Or, or maybe just people uh, were taxed emotionally from the political climate and didn't want to jump into something that was also going to be clearly very taxing emotionally. Um, that could be. Yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. I don't know what happened there, but I, I think it's a great movie, and 
I hope I'm sure people will find it on TV in the coming years and, and be like, wow, this is great. How did I never hear of it? You know? Mm-hmm. No, it's one of those that I think will live on for a while yeah. via streaming. And um, I mean, that's how teens discover movies these days. And the movie is, I think, like the target audience is teens. And I, that's how they discover things. Yeah. Yeah. And that little, like, you know, fucking Archie Andrews from Riverdale's in it. So, like, they'll find it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, number six. Uh, my number six is Suspiria, which is um, just this really fun political allegory wrapped up as like a campy horror film, and it's just like the the fucking best. Like it's two and a half hours of just like great scares, gore, um, Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton, and it's like what more could you ask for? It's it's such a such a fun movie. Yep. I, I won't disagree, and I may be talking about it in a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> my number six is Skate Kitchen, um, which I've mentioned, I've mentioned a shitload of times on various podcasts. I think I mentioned it on the um, end of summer one that Bill and I did. But it is a film that I got to see thanks to like a press, a press screener link, and it blew me away when I saw it. It's about, you know, New York skater girls and about female friendship and like oh man it just it brutalized me (laughs) i love that movie so much and it like it's funny because i thought it was great and it's basically the same subject matter as mid 90s and it's about 45 times better than that film but no one heard of it and it's 100 percent because it's about women and like it frustrated me that we all had to pretend mid 90s was worth ever talking about when a film that is better than it with the same subject matter came out like six months before and no one saw it like every guy I knew like every film bro I knew was like oh I can't wait to see mid 90s but was like what's Skate Kitchen do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, no, Skate Kitchen is on Hulu for people that haven't seen it including myself like, there you go like, I, I plan on watching it this week because yeah. um, you know Hulu's has like a low key great movie selection they actually really do um uh, Hulu, please sponsor the pod. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Skate Kitchen is wonderful, and uh, I don't know. It's just like a uh, something about female friendship and like women in traditionally male spaces that I just like. I don't know. Bl- it was so refreshing to see, and like I think like the way going forward when we're talking about like changing the industry is like that movie should get more attention than it should have, and like. You know, everybody can talk about like, well, we're, the film is more inclusive now. But again, to me, like, the fact that film bros didn't know about it and is so illustrative of the fact of, or uh, illustrative of how far we have to go to make make the average film goer, particularly straight male ones, take female stories seriously. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's a bigger thing. Uh, number five. Uh, my number five is Widows which um, is just to me, I, I've seen it twice, Widows, and I think I, I think I talked about both viewings on the podcast, yeah. but it just, it is such a, um, like, perfectly structured heist film that is doing so much and somehow manages to, like, consistently pull off all the different things it's trying to do, which is be this well-told heist movie with a lot of twists and also touch on all these different social issues without ever becoming about 
one of them it just is very firmly set in the real world yeah. and um, I credit that to um, Gillian Flynn's really intelligent screenplay I think she's between us and sharp objects on TV like she's proven how talented a writer she is when it comes to like mixing genre with social issues and then um, Steve McQueen's really stellar direction and um, even it's just like it's worth watching purely for in the entire ensemble Viola Davis and Elizabeth Becky, um, mm-hmm. both do really nice work. Yeah, yeah, that's a movie I'd like to watch again in in like three or four years and and maybe reevaluate. Um, it's going to be on TNT, I think, for the rest of our lives. It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's that type of movie, so Ooh, you'll have a chance. That is so true. It's like incredible. Um, my number five is Bad Times at the El Royale, which um, like no one saw, um, but I think is like so well made and probably has the best soundtrack of the year although the the studio or whoever made a huge mistake in adding instrumentation to um the Cynthia Erivo stuff when she's unaccompanied in the film and that's what makes the whole damn thing so interesting which is like what, what are you doing I don't, I don't know what that's about but um yeah I, I just thought it was so like formally interesting and like smart as hell about it's like subtly exploring social issues um, of today through a 1960s, late 60s, early 70s sort of lens. Um, and this like low-key examination of like um, the the tarnishing of, of the image of like this perfect, you know, post-war America kind of thing. Um, and the performances are all really interesting and I don't know, I just think it's a really great little film um, that I want to watch over and over and over again and I think has a lot of rewatch value, honestly. Um, and like so few films, I feel like take you on a journey deliberately and that film takes you on a journey. I just, I love that movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really, really love that one too. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun little noir too. It's, it's playing with so many noir, you know, tropes and doing it so well and it's a shame that like I don't I, I maybe the studio didn't believe in it I'm not really sure what happened there but yeah that's a great little film uh, number four uh, my number four um, so it's it's funny with my top ten list usually I find that my number four pick almost always is this film that I really I, I know is probably like the best technical experience of the year <laughs> and um, that is again this year with Roma which is I just think like Again, it's the sort of movie, like I mentioned before, it's hard to love on some level because it is very heavy, and I don't know if I'll ever rewatch it anytime soon. Um, but it's like, Alfonso Cuaron is just operating on this incredible level. I think it is probably the best directed film of this year. Um, and yeah, it just on like this technical level, it's very, very impressive. And... Um, in that first viewing, I was completely swept away in it, and it was a very exhausting emotional experience. And um, I'm an easy crier at movies, so that must, that's not saying much. But I was crying throughout. Yeah, I am. I'm not. A, I'm not a big crier, so I, it makes sense um, that I just, just I just didn't connect to it. I am dead emotionally. Uh, my number four is Suspiria, um, which I wrote a basically a, a, my magnum opus on for the site, um, and it I the way I look at it is it's a movie about female rage in in a time of um, 
like political upheaval, um, which I don't think could be more uh, like vi- like prescient to this moment. So I don't know. Um, I think it's brilliant. I I didn't like the original Suspiria, and I love this one, and I think it's like so rewatchable, and it's very divisive, and I totally get that. Um, but for me, it like spoke to something really necessary that I I hadn't seen this year and that just felt like the right thing to hear at at this point in in history and maybe I'll feel different differently about it someday but I think it's just such a like beautiful piece of technical work the sound is incredible the dancing is incredible Dakota Johnson is is everything in it and like it's going to be doing so much interesting work and like this announces her to people in a way that like they probably didn't know she could do even though she's been doing it for a while um and Tilda Swinton is great it's just I just think it's a complete filmmaking or like a film experience of like everything being firing on all cylinders from like narrative to to like allegory to to filmmaking itself so yeah I just I think Suspiria is incredible um it it almost I'm not sure why it isn't my number one in some ways because it's so good but like there's a lot of lady-focused stuff in my top five, so <laughs> it's and also two Dakota Johnson pictures. So what you know, what what can I say? That's how you know it's a good year for film when there's two Dakota Johnson movies oh. in your top five. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> you could almost throw Fifty Shades Freed in just to just to get it in there, because um, she's great <laughs> in that too, even though it's a piece small. of shit. Um, but yeah, number three. Number three. Um, is for me the favorite, which we talked about early, and I remember liking it a lot. I watched it again like last week, and it played even better on the repeat viewing. Wow! To the point um, that like I realized how fucking excellent it is. Yeah. And um, yeah, like that's just a perfect screenplay. I think like that that is the screenplay of the year. Yeah. In my mind, yeah. some of the best dialogue I've heard in ages. Um, one thing that really impressed, one thing that changed for me from screening the screening was, I came to realize that like Rachel Wise might be my favorite performance in it. I, she's just so funny, yeah. and um, it's like this really brilliant comedic performance. And then you have Olivia Coleman, who we talked about when we reviewed it. That scene where she um, is watching everybody dance and she gets upset is just like I think one of the best acted moments of any movie this year, yeah. and. Um, I don't know, it's just, their favorite, like, all of Yorgos Lofthimos films is a weird movie, and I, even though this is more accessible, I don't blame people for not vibing with it, like, when I saw it a second time in suburban New Jersey, the only other person in the theater walked out, like, but, um... How long into it did they walk out? Um, right during the, um, like, halfway, the halfway point, like, during the first major sex scene. Wow. Between okay. the actors. Wow. And I'm like, I don't want to read too into this, but... Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's a great film. It's a great film. It's impeccable filmmaking. And and the first thing that really makes me see that the, the hype around that the most. Um, my number three is... Uh, I, I kind of waffled on putting this on on my list because it actually didn't come out this year um like it didn't come out it hasn't come out um but i saw it at a film festival and i think it's like one of the best documentaries i've ever seen and i don't understand why it hasn't come out um and it's because it's so like 
again, of this moment. It's uh, Netizens. It's a documentary about um, online harassment against women, which could not be more important <laughs> as a subject matter <laughs> in this moment. So, yeah, it's great. Um, I don't know when it's coming out or if it ever will. It, it played a number of festivals. I saw it at um, uh, Tribeca. Um, it's one of the few Tribeca films I had the time to see because Tribeca takes place in the early part of the year when primaries are happening. Um, and it's, it, it just, I, I've thought about it ever since and I saw it in like March. Um, and I, I pray that it comes out somewhere where people, people can watch it eventually because I think it's just like, just the, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen and it's so smart and like, I don't know. It's just a, such an important subject too. But yeah. Um, you never saw it, right? No, I actually, like, I actually went to the Trebekah Film Festival this year, my first time. Yeah. But, like, I wasn't even dealing with primaries, and that, it, it's such a, a difficult, um, festival to schedule for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, they just have very inconvenient showtimes. Yeah. And I only saw, like, one film there this year, but no, I did not see that. It sounds really fascinating, though. Yeah, I hope it comes out eventually, because I think it's brilliant. Um, and I, I don't, I really don't understand why it didn't. Um... Number two. My number two is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Huh? Which um, was very close to being my number one, but a last minute rewatch made them switch positions. But um, Can You Ever Forgive Me is a very important film in a way that a lot of people aren't really touching on. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's one of the best queer movies I think I've ever seen yeah. because it's not in any way about like a love story or about coming out. It's about this whole part of the queer experience that n filmmakers don't ever touch upon, which yeah. is that um, this, like, the way the defense mechanisms that you use when when in the closet um, are still there as an adult, and it makes it very difficult to, um, to build relationships and friendships and romances. And um, the film is set during... I mean, it's, it's based on a true story, and it's set during the... 90s right after the AIDS crisis ended and it, sh it does a really beautiful job of showing how much that epidemic affected the, the gay community yeah. and then you also just have this really incredible biopic of Lee Israel who is a interesting character and had this crazy life and um, it's entertaining, it's very emotional I think it's the sort of film that it's so empathetic and humane and um, the last few scenes are really powerful and just like I, I almost can't talk about the second to last scene without getting upset and like crying because it's such a it's one of the most beautiful moments in film this year I think and um, I hope people discover it because I think it, and, and watch it with an open mind not because I, I think it's challenging I think it's actually one of the more accessible films from the year but just like I hope people understand how much more this is than just a biopic. I think it's a very important window into a life that a lot of people don't get because, um, and like, I hope it's a, a, a good teaching moment for people who, for a particular chapter in history and for um, just what the queer experience is like, because it's not all just like coming out and falling in love. And yeah. um, I'm just shocked that and this is not meant to like a sarcastic or glib way like I'm shocked that Mariel Heller who directed it and then the two co-writers are all straight because it's like <laughs> we talk a lot about how um, like who should tell what stories and 
they did such a phenomenal job at nailing different yeah. things that feel so personal and and real that it's very impressive to me and I really hope people find find this film yeah no it's really lovely and and I think the marketing was weird because the marketing didn't make me want to see it and then I'd heard so many good things about it like word of mouth is what convinced me realistically because I was I don't know that it just didn't it seemed sort of like the melancholy loneliness of it isn't conveyed in the in the trailer which I makes sense because who would want to see that but I would, it's a terrible trailer yeah but I would want to see that do you know what I mean and like that's the thing I liked about it is that the way it catches the particular like loneliness of New York especially in winter um, because of it's it's isolating in some way if you're not high achieving do, do you know what I mean yeah um, but yeah that's a brilliant lovely movie um, and I, I, you're right I hope people find it um, my number two is um, is Annihilation, actually, um, which is the one the one film that made the top ten <laughs> for the site that I that I liked. Um, I I just think it's impeccable filmmaking. And again, we're going to talk about Netflix again and releasing mistakes. And I don't know. It's a weird movie, so I I can see why a studio wouldn't believe in it, but it doesn't make sense because it. It's a movie that deserved to be seen on a big screen. Um, it's from a director that people very much like, who I don't think was... I, I haven't been convinced by up until this film. Um, and it it is so fucking good. And I, we, you know, I saw it early, and everybody saw it early. And it had staying power. It's the kind of thing that will become a cult classic and totally deserves to, to, to do so. And which... I don't know. I just think it's so good and so interesting and has like a diverse cast and is about women and grief and all these things. And I, I, I just don't know what happened there. <laughs> but it's it's one. It almost was one, my number one of the year. And I remember thinking when I first saw it, like, this is a film I'm going to think about all year. And then I did. And it just stayed on the top of that list for a really long time, you know, like in the in the top five or whatever for, for a very long time. Um, yeah, and I just think it's brilliant and beautiful and and so unique and and took a book that a book series that I was very disappointed by um, and made it really interesting um, and took things out of it that I don't I didn't think were there and and focused it in a way that I wasn't sure that it could happen. So and and it's Natalie Portman's other great performance of the year. Um, she has to do so much and like dance and do all this stuff and it's like also Bobby Jean. Um, did the choreography for the the big scene at the end and she she was in a um, documentary either this year or last year that I thought was also incredible so it was like nice to see that again because her work is so emotional and like feels feels very much like what Suspiria does in dance but she's this is just her you know work or whatever um but yeah I loved Annihilation I think it's brilliant um uh, Matt, do you want to say anything about that, or do you want to just go to your number one? Well, the answer is yes to both. Yeah, because, I knew it! Um, <laughs> my number one is Annihilation. Um, I You summed up a lot of what makes it so special. I think I like to pick my number one film as just the movie that I think will... Um, like just gave us something that we haven't seen before, mm-hmm. and that was this... I know there's like a lot of influences from everything from like... Um, 
uh, so like Solaris and Stalker from the 70s, and then also like a bit of Carpenter, I would, I would say. Yeah. But, um, like, I just think it's, um, it feels like something totally new. It mm. has this way of being terrifying, but not in the moment. It's one of those films where, like, you experience it, and I mean, I mean, literally experience it. I, like, I think this is one of those movies that just feels so new that, like, it's almost like you're not even watching it the first time you watch it. And, um, like, when you process what you're watching, you're like, this is really disturbing and terrifying. Yeah. And um, there are, are at least three scenes that I think are truly haunting. And like you said, when I first saw it, um, I was like, I'm going to remember this movie for a while. And there are some scenes and just some shots that are just so haunting. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of musical cues. It has a great very non-traditional score yeah. that I like for that genre yeah. that I think works very well for it yeah. and um, trust and believe that is going to be showing up on, on my top five scores list good 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 no it's it's so it's such a phenomenal film I watched it again I, I bought it on Blu-ray and I watched it again um, last week and it's just it's, it's phenomenal it is so truly terrifying mm-hmm. and fascinating and thought-provoking um and the one other thing I'll add, which I find very, very funny, is um, there's all this talk about how, like, you know, the fall is the heavy hitter season with all, like, the best films. But for the past two years, my favorite film of the year came out in February between <laughs> this and Get Out in 2017. And yeah. it's, like, it's so interesting to me and exciting the way um, we're getting these new classics, I think, in genres that are deemed lesser than award fair, like like horror yeah. and um it's an exciting time to to be going to the movies because you, I think any genre you can get something that feels truly unexpected and wild and, and like innovative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it was such an exciting thing to see and like, y- I could definitely tell that some of my audience members were not going with it, but like, I don't, it just it's just such a it's just such an experience and I hope a lot of people watch it and like, you know, it's on it's on, it only was released in Netflix. On Netflix in other countries besides America, so that means like a lot of people will get to watch it. But it, it's such a good theater experience, and like, I will say, it does have some of the most horrifying shit I've ever seen in a horror film. Like the the bear thing with the voice. Um, the voice kills me. Like it's, that is it's terrifying. That is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a film. Honestly, it's so upsetting. And I when I realized what. What it like? What was going on? I was like, that is fucking heinous. That is so heinous. Like, I have a friend who doesn't like horror movies and actually can't even watch the trailers, but they love Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez and Natalie Portman, and they were like, "Can I see this movie?" And I was like, "Do like I and like even in like at home when I can stop it and do stuff." I was like, "No, there's something so heinous in it. I don't think you'll you'll survive it. I really don't." And that was the scene because I was just like, "That is the worst." thing I've ever heard. It's so bad. Ugh. Awful. Um, That's much the videotape scene. Oh, uh, God. Is like, like, I'm rarely bothered by gore, and that one I was like, oh my God, I have to leave. Yeah. The whole thing is is terrifying, and like, it's terrifying. It's just a wonderful, immersive nightmare film, (laughs) and everyone should watch it. Um, And then uh, my number one is... uh, Something we've all we've talked about a bunch, and which I love, and which I actually am surprised made number one because I just I knew I loved it, but I just 
I didn't realize I loved it this much. Um, is support the girls, um, which is also is to speak to your point about annihilation. Something I feel like I ha- we haven't seen before necessarily on screen, which is um, the way women protect each other in a working environment, particularly that is fundamentally hostile to them. Um, and like that again, that feels so important in this point in history to like understand the way women have survived in 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 a society that w- works against them, but also like just the work that the 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 deep emotional and taxing work that women do just to like make it through the day, and like to acknowledge that, and also like acknowledge the the friendship and the connection and all of everything everything involved in that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, beautiful. I, it's my number twelve. It's a really stunning. Movie. Yeah, and Regina does the, the this is the year of the Reginas, and Regina does such a you know great work in this. Um, and it's just and like Haley Richardson is wonderful, and it's just a lovely film. And I hope people see it. And I don't uh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I think it's that thing of like it's not going to speak to an audience that is. Like like film bros, and I'm they're the exact people who need to see it. But it's just such a lovely film, piece of character work, and so quiet, and willing to be quiet and and contemplative and sort of sad. And I don't know, I just loved it. I love that film, and it's like one of the things I would suggest to people all the time. You know, like my top five are all those top five I would suggest to people at all times. Um, and I didn't I didn't mean to make such like a women focused top five, but I I don't know. That's just the way it is. You know what I mean? It felt like the theme of the year in a strange way, like, yeah. or I mean, just diversity in general and diverse storytellers. Like, it's this was a very good year of just movies about diversity and about giving people like not just like in the way there was more diversity, just in numbers, mm-hmm. in the way that movies became about diversity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that basically wraps it up. Um, I have, uh, like I said. By the time this is up, I'll have something about best film scores of the year. Um, and I'm going to start speaking of Hulu again. Um, I'm going to start reviewing all of the Blumhouse, um, like, holiday-themed uh, movies. They, they were releasing, like, once a month for, like, 12 months or something like that. So, yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start with the New Year's one, uh, which is already out on Hulu, but um, which I haven't had time to watch yet. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to start reviewing that, and I think uh, that's going to be it for me for a little bit. Uh, we have a Drag Race podcast coming again soon. We're going to have a guest on. Um, that should go up either shortly after this or shortly before. Or we'll see what happens editing-wise. Um, what else you got coming up, Matt? Um, I ha- will be, um, of course, the Drag Race podcast. I'll also be podcasting with Bill mm-hmm. um, about just like TV in 2018 and 2019 and what to expect what we're excited for Um, and this is much later in January but we have a lot of shows coming up that I'm pretty excited for and I'll be reviewing um, Sex Sex Ed with um, Gillian Anderson which is going to be a Netflix series and um, the Patty Jenkins Chris Pine miniseries for TNT which I think is called I Am The Night but I do not remember but I will be watching it regardless of what it's called alright and I never got that thing about my brilliant friend written and I probably never will at this point which is a shame because I'm I'm so busy Um, but yeah that's it Uh, look for us next time thanks everyone